Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. I especially want to greet you um, in the name of my wife, Eden. She spoke here, what, 15 months ago. She was especially proud of herself because she got Matt to cry. And um, she was meant to be here with me today, but she's just come out of uh, thyroid surgery that involves some cancer protocol. Prognosis is good, but the tragedy was she had to cancel the trip. So she, uh, she really regrets not being here. Um, so it's actually my first time at this congregation, and what a good first impression I had. I came up to the door, and there with a glint in his eye was a greeter named Colin. And I could tell he was cheeky which gave me the freedom to be cheeky. So as he reached out his hand and we grasped hands, I asked him this question. Is this a Christian church? And he said, oh no, we're all friendly here. Now, of course, we know he was being cheeky because all Christians are so friendly. And then I began to ruminate on the truth of what he said. First of all, in repentance, of course, where Christians have not been very friendly. But more importantly, this. What if church is not an institutional subset of this bigger thing we call Christianity? What if church is bigger than Christianity? Here's what I mean. Kingdom of God is like a banquet. And all have been welcomed to the banquet. And at the banquet, church, ecclesia, we gather around this new covenant person named Jesus Christ. Does everyone who comes to the banquet already sign on as a Christian? Look at the Gospels. Did everyone who come to sit and be with Jesus already have their baptism certificate? He, he not only had strangers and seekers there, he even had haters and everyone who came around the table, this kingdom banqueting table, investigating, critiquing, welcoming, consuming, you name it, all of that seems to count as church. And so this truly is a church, but I hope it's not just a Christian church. In fact, think of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, we've all come to Mount Zion. We've got Christians, Old Testament saints, myriads of angels, and Jesus. So even there, it's bigger than what we've called Christianity. So um, I, I want to affirm you for not just being a Christian church, because hopefully those of us who don't identify with that are also welcome. It's a very strange way to think about, isn't it? But it's good to think out loud about these things in front of you sometimes. So I'm thinking out loud about, about a banqueting table set here today, and then I just thought, should I talk about that? And then the announcements came on. All of these announcements seem to involve food. What do you, I've never heard this word nosh before. A nosh, what? A nosh up. And the Lord Jesus Christ once said to his disciples, the kingdom of God is like a grand nosh up. A banquet where all are welcome and in fact, not enough have come. Look at all these empty seats. We, well, at least, at least um, some of them are only empty because the children left. 
But it really is, this is an exploding, fast-growing church, and this, this tells me a banquet's been happening. It's very good. So um, I want to read to you from that parable about the kingdom of God as a great banquet, a great nosh-up. Um, this comes out of a more Christ-like way. This is the book we have at the back today. Please buy them all so that I don't have to take them to the Aussies. I understand I could have immigration problems. So, Okay, so the, um, I want to just open with a paragraph to prep you for the, the uh, parable. Christ's vision of Abba's kingdom as an open banquet. You see... Because the kingdom of God is an open banquet, it can't be reduced to something as small as Christianity. We'll say more on that later. Is comprised of a good number of his parables and aphorisms. The radical invitation is featured in the parable of the Great Supper, where I've noticed an escalating compulsion in the invitations to grace. An escalating compulsion to come, a greater insistence as we go. And so here, here we go. Here's from, um, this is N.T. Wright's New Testament for Everyone or Kingdom New Testament translation. It's very good, by the way. Jesus said, Once a man had a great dinner and invited lots of guests. When the time for the meal arrived, he sent his servant to say to the guests, Come now, Everybody, everything is ready. But the whole pack of them began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I really have to go and see it. Please accept my apologies. I mean, okay, real estate could come before a church meeting, right? Couldn't it? Mm. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I have to go and test them out. Please accept my apologies. That's important. It's his livelihood. Okay, I guess. And another said, I've just got married, so naturally I can't come. Okay, at least there's that. Honeymoon church, honeymoon church, easy. <clears throat> so the servant went back and told his master all this. The householder was cross and said to his servant, go quickly into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. All right, master, said the servant. I've done that, but there's still room. Well then, said the master to the servant, go out onto the roads and hedgerows. Most translations say something like street corners and behind the hedges. And make them come in. Woo. So that my house may be full, let me tell you this, none of those people who were invited will get a taste of my dinner. Ouch. So first of all, uh, just preamble, what we see in this, normally we see a, an invitation for everyone. I hope, I hope that's true here. I'm like pretty sure it's true here because I know Matt. Everyone's welcome. Are you sure? Okay, checking. And, and that, the that the, everyone's welcome to freely respond. We'll see this later in the great banquet of Revelation chapter 22, where the spirit and the bride say, come. This is a, that's interesting. In the new heavens and the new earth, 
The wicked are outside the city. And the gates of the city are never shut. And the spirit and the bride forever say, come. Might need to do our, redo our end times theology by looking at the last two chapters of the Bible. With that in, firmly in mind, I, I want to talk about the three groups that were there that day. Um, first of all, he's invited many to the banquet. He says, all things are now ready. But the RSVPs didn't come in as he hoped. And Jesus labels the responses as excuses. So I thought about that for a while. Like, is it, is it really so bad if I skip church when I've just bought some land or some, a new car or got married? Well, let's just think about it for a moment. He means for them to sound ludicrous. Who buys real estate sight unseen and then goes to look at it afterwards? Some of you may have. Don't do that. Go with your realtor first, then buy it. So it seems like an excuse. How about this? I, I've just bought five oxen and I need to go try them out. Oh, you really bought a car without test driving it? Mm, I call two letters. And then, oh, you got married and you don't think you could bring her as a plus one to the banquet. You, re you really thought, I, I'm married and now I'm invited to the banquet, so I'll just leave her at home. I better not do, come on. Or as Tom Hanks would say, come on! So that's, it, it's really treated as an excuse because it's experienced as a real rejection of Christ, of Abba and his invitation. Uh, the second group, he says, go out quickly into the streets. And he, specifically, he mentions... The poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And he says, bring them. Why bring them? Why haven't they just come? Hello? They're lame. They're blind. They're disabled. They can't come on their own. Someone actually has to literally go get them. Let's be practical here, right? So when Eden and I were leading Fresh Wind Christian Fellowship, one-third of our church were people with disabilities in full-time care. Not one of them could come on their own. Someone had to go get them or had to bring them. And thankfully, um, we became a recruiting zone for care workers. So before, when, when job listings would be posted, they'd come to our church first. Like, we want your church to have first right of employment in our care homes. Why? Because you'll bring them to the banquet. And we did. And so our folks all had to learn to get driver's license that would allow them to bring the big vans just loaded with the people. And we have rows and rows of wheelchairs. And it was so wonderful. On a sunny day like this, it was really fun to, to drive to church and you're seeing all these care workers pushing wheelchairs down the road, and I know exactly where they're going. Oh. Bring them. 
bring them. And then there's the, the third group. And, and here he uses a very strong word. Um, in English, in that translation, it says, make them come. Or probably a, a better translation, the one that's more common, compel them to come. That's a strong word. Really strong. It usually, elsewhere in the New Testament, it's translated strongly urging, uh, attempting to persuade, entreaty them, make them. It's almost like force them. Almost. Does that sound like an invitation? And so I thought a lot about that. Like, who needs to be compelled? And how will they be compelled? Oh, here's one. Come to the banquet. I'm not worthy. Come, be part of what we're doing here. Coast Vineyard. I don't know if I belong. No, really. There's a place for you at the table, but I have nothing to wear. And so we compel those who don't feel worthy or like they could ever belong and they need, they almost need their arm twisted so that the deepest desire of their heart is, it really comes to fruition. What's the deep, deep down thing? I want to belong, but I can't. My, my friend um, Dean, this is uh, my pastor, my wife's pastor. He's, he, uh, he started being a chaplain in a prison. And in this prison, you have a range of chaplains all the way from fundamentalist Baptists to Wiccas, the whole, the whole range. And so he gets in the rotation, and he starts buying into this idea of God's radical inclusion, radical inclusion, whereby what Christ did, he did for everyone, so everyone's in. And so instead of saying, you have to do something to get in, like say the sinner's prayer or get baptized, Christ has already included you in his baptism, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. And now we just need to let people know, you're in. Come to the banquet, right? So, um, but here's the thing with prisoners. N nobody's guilty of anything. Like, it's amazing. You have entire prisons in Canada with not one guilty person. And they're there by accident or somebody else's fault. They were framed or, or well, I had to do it because, right? And so there's this real resistance to seeing the, their need of gospel. And um, so then the other, the, the other chaplains think they need to convince them that they're sinners. And they just don't buy it. But when Dean started saying to them, uh, you know, you know this kingdom of God stuff we're talking about? It's like, yeah. It's like, you're in. It's like, what? You know, the family of God, you belong. You're in. And you know what they do? They start resisting them. They're like, I can't be in. Why not? I murdered a guy. Oh! <gasps> And now the confessions come out. Suddenly, the good news that they're in triggers them into being truth-tellers. 
and recognizing their need and also their deep desire in their life. I just can't believe it. He couldn't accept me. And then Dean compels them. I'm telling you, you're in. It's like, I don't know. And then three months later, they're getting baptized. And the chapels are doubling in size. And then we recognize that, that this compelling them to come in is sometimes necessary. Um, so that's one way, that's one way why, that we might be compelled. When, when a good news evangelist tries to convince us that what Christ has done for us, he's done for everyone. Uh, the other is uh, when we're more stubborn really resistant, even defiant. I notice in my life and in the lives of my 12-step recovery friends, they didn't often say their, their yes to the invitation until life had compelled them. We call it bottoming out. When things get so hard that we come to the end of ourselves and, and we run so far that and exhaust ourselves, and all we can do is look to heaven and say, I, I surrender. I surrender. In a case like that, what is it? What is it that compelled us? It's just quite amazing. Sometimes I, um, the guys I meet with, they'll say, you know what? I, I would have never come, but, but I just, I found myself flat out. And then God was there. I, I can't tell you how many people meet God in a dumpster or in solitary confinement. And it's like life was their invitation. And they will actually say this. My addiction is the best thing that ever happened to me. Because my addiction brought me to the end of myself so that I could say yes to the one who was inviting me. It's, it's like... It's very ironic. It ruins their lives, but it also saves them from self-will that kept giving excuses. I'm like, I'm not going to give excuses anymore. I need Jesus. Or I need God as I understand them at this point. So we've got these three groups. I'm wondering if there's no hope for some, though. What about those who, who are told they... They won't get to taste of the banquet. What do we do with that? Uh, in the Matthew version of the, this, we have a guy and he shows up in the wrong, in the, he doesn't have the wedding clothes he's supposed to have. And he, he gets in somehow and they identify him and kick him out. Like, what was that about? I thought everyone was welcome. Well, one thing we want to know about that is the one who snuck in without the wedding garments he thought he was righteous. He thought, I deserve this. It's the picture of the Pharisees who think their zeal for God has made them worthy rather than you're qualified by your need for mercy. I don't need mercy. Yeah, you do. It's like, no, I don't. It's like, then you're out. You're really out. Yikes. Happily, I think even though the parable ends on a sad note for that guy, it's not really the end of the road. This is how parables work. 
when my mom says, don't touch the stove, Bradley, or it will burn you because it's hot. Um, That's not the end of the story. She, She just doesn't tell me. And then after you burn yourself, I will hold you and I will welcome you and I will bandage you and you'll heal. She didn't tell me that or I'd go touch the stove. <laughs> so you, you get the rhetoric of the, of the threat of, you know, there, there really is a judgment for this person. But then I think of Paul. He's the quintessential I am worthy guy who was so convinced of his own righteousness, he didn't just um, wander around strutting, he wandered around killing. killing and even he... Finally gets an invitation at the bank, and wow, was he compelled. Uh, the uncreated light appeared to him with a face-to-face invitation. And If Paul can get in, in the end, maybe you can too. Right? So, so um, we've got this banquet, and what a beautiful expression of, of, of God's heart for us. That we're meant to experience this place, this gathering, as an open table where everyone's welcome and they can freely come. And in a sense, it's like, oh, I've come. And then, he, and then Jesus gets up and he says, now follow me. We've got to go invite more. Why? To, to look good because we're a growing church? No, because people are hungry. And they're thirsty and they're dying. Right now, they're experiencing perishing. Maybe Maybe there's something wonderful that we're going to taste together here. Like good news? I just want to shift over now to another parable, the parable of the two lost sons, right? It's sort of the same thing. They're, they both have a home. They both have a dad. There's a sta- statement about inclusion. Did you realize that the hedonistic son and the religious Elder son, they're both sons the whole time. We've got this thing in Christianity, and there's that again. I hate to slam it, I, I am one. But we've got this thing like you, you get to be a son when you come home. It's like, no, they were sons from the very beginning. And so while there are some passages in the New Testament that seem to talk about Christians as sons and daughters of God, there are more passages that treat us all as sons and daughters. Every, every man, woman, and child in New Zealand whether is a son or daughter of God, of the Father. That, that's the point of the parable. It's just that some of us have wandered out and lived lives like on the wild side, and then some of us have like hunkered down and got all religious about it, and both are slaving in a field, not enjoying the Father's house. This I learned from the vineyard. That the banqueting table is in the Father's house. And there's a lot of orphans out there. And some are orphaned by their hedonism, by by trying to find satisfaction in stuff that the world offers. And it's just not very good for you. It's like eating at McDonald's 30 days in a row. Eventually, that'll bite you in the butt. You know? But, But at least that guy, you know... He eventually becomes so malnourished that he comes to his senses. And I like that he doesn't even get home before the father is racing down the the lane to him. And it says, while he's still afar off, 
let that be a lesson to us. There's folks out there who may end up here one day, but the Father's already out there and, and, and calling them, which is so exciting because everybody you meet is on a journey home. Whoa. It could be really meandering. It could be half dead in a ditch. All of that stuff. But the fa- where's the Father? Where's the Good Shepherd? He's out there ahead of us, right? On the other hand, you've also got the older brother, and he too is a slave in the fields. It, he might even go to a, a church, but somehow he's not in the house because he's so obsessed with his own striving and self-righteousness. And I love, I love that the father goes to him too. He doesn't say, well, huh, the older brother, he didn't get it and he didn't come home, so that's enough. No, the father goes out looking for him. And that's the trick in this particular um, uh, parable because it, because it's sort of like, who's the lost son? The lost coin was the coin the woman went looking for. The lost sheep is the one that the shepherd goes looking for. Who's the lost son? The one the father goes looking for. And he's looking for the older son. And even in the parable, as the father is looking for the older son, Jesus is speaking the parable, compelling the Pharisees to come in. Uh, my confession is, I've been so self-righteous about not being a Pharisee that I am one. I, for me, it's very easy to have meals with disabled people and drug addicts and sex trade workers. I, I like that. I enjoy that because I feel sexy doing it. Looks good in my books. What I, what I don't like so much is eating with the older brother, thus proving I am him. So um, uh, one thing I'm trying to do with that is I'm trying to remember my former religious self, my Baptist church, my, that evangelical background and how we became so enlightened when, as a friend of the vineyard. You know, that really made me feel enlightened. I could wear shorts to church and stuff. And I look back on those, I look back on those days, I'm like, oh, those poor Baptists, you know. If only they would come to the banquet. I'm super judgmental. I'm just such a Pharisee. Thank God I'm not like them. But what helps me is I think of my dad. My, my dad's like Lloyd Evangelical. Quintessential. Uh, really obsessed with getting people to pray the prayer and go through the four spiritual laws. He's an old man now. He's got two replaced knees. He can't get out of a car by himself very well. He's on his third bout of kidney cancer and he's had a heart valve replaced with a pig, heart, pig valve. Uh, he walks really slow. Quintessential evangelical. And then, and then what happens? <laughs> he gets in his car. He's so, he's so into telling people about Jesus. He drives down the back gravel roads, back roads of Manitoba, playing Amazing Grace on his baritone until he sees people outside. And he pulls over. And I remember he pulled over by these Hutterites one day who were working in their fields. And he tromps out into the field with his baritone. He's like, can I play 
a song for you. He starts playing Amazing Grace. And they're like, this is wonderful. You've got to come to the colony and play for the women too. And next thing you know, he's speaking at their Christmas banquet every, every year. I'm like, Dad, leave them alone. They don't want to hear you. And they're like, yes, we do. He can't, he, he, he's just like, so it's like OCD. And he goes to the, he goes to the barber shop to get a haircut. And there's a, there's a young lady cutting his hair. And, and he's like, wants, wants to talk to her about Jesus. I'm like, Dad, come on, this is embarrassing. You know, you know and, and she's like, no, I want to hear. And he can't leave the place until he's prayed with her. Like, how dumb is that? And then I realize, even for Lloyd Evangelical, decrepit as he is, I would rather be more like him than less like him. I like the things about him I, uh, that I want to be more than what I wouldn't want to be. I'm like, my goodness, maybe some of our movements we've come out of, um, maybe they're really precious and they still belong at the table too, right? Is this mind dinging? I'm sorry, guys. I'm just bored. I'm going to check Facebook now. Um, so what we're going to do is we're heading towards communion now. Um, the Lord's table. See? You know, Jesus didn't do a lot of stuff in synagogues. Once in a while you see him there, but he's always about the table. And that could be anything from a banqueting table that someone's put on for him, or eating with tax collectors and sinners and scandalizing everybody, or celebrating Pascha, the Passover, with his disciples, which is a covenant meal. Um, what I want to say about that as we head into communion today is there are two ways of coming to communion. One is to, one is to see it as a, as a covenant meal, and so only those who are baptized should receive that covenant meal really you should be committed to the covenant and and only those can come to the table that's one way to approach it that's kind of what we do at the orthodox church where i go i don't like it because i read this banquet that the kingdom of god is like an open banquet and everyone's invited so as far as i can tell everyone's invited here this morning all right i'm gonna push it now matt can I invite people who aren't Christians yet? I, absolutely. That wasn't a yes. That was a absolutely. I'm so glad because you know what? Everyone's welcome. There, there is one thing you got to do first, though. You got to need it. So we had a habit when I was younger. It's where Paul says in 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 to the Corinthians before you before you eat this bread or take this cup, examine yourself. That was horrible usually because what we did was we opened up our hearts to the accuser for a good five or ten minutes and just let him pummel us. It's like, don't, that's not what he meant. Don't use examining yourself before communion as a green light for the enemy to accuse you. That's, that's not what it's about. Um, what you might do instead is just think about, and it's very specific to us, is, is there anything in me that requires this medicine today. 
Is there any malice in my heart that I've not fully dealt with such that I can only say, oh, Lord, have mercy? Do do I need this? Um, And so if you need this, we're going to be inviting you to come up in a bit. Um, I'm just so thrilled about the power of communion. I've seen... I've seen a good number of miraculous, instantaneous physical healings at the table because the folks knew that they weren't just having juice and crackers, that in a mysterious way, we're, we're, we're partaking of the body of, and blood of Christ. And you don't have to imagine that it transubstantiates into skin cells and blood cells. No, no, but we're, something real is going to happen here today. As you partake something real, his real presence. And and, uh, I wonder if we're even meant to take that real presence out to the streets. You know, at Winnipeg Center Vineyard, my brother is an elder there. They were telling me about this woman who came over from next door. She lived in a giant apartment block that was all, it was a giant crack house and, and brothel. And she came over because she, she was on this daily addiction, and it was just like so terrible um, crack. And, and they said, maybe you just need love instead of crack. And she goes, oh, but crack's way easier to find. And they said, We're, you know, she, she, uh, her, she was overdue on paying her drug bill to her pimp, and now she was being, the, the bill was like, a beating a day plus interest. And he said, why don't, could we just bring communion over to your apartment? Because we think maybe you'll experience love if we serve you communion. So they actually took communion over to the crack house. They went to her little brothel room and, and the vineyard served communion to her. And they started serving it to her every day. And her, she went, her crack addiction, last I had heard, it went from like once a day to once a week or something like that. I mean, it like dramatically started reducing. And it wasn't about her getting worthy. And she started feeling love and feeling peace and getting free. You know what was weird? They started having a lineup down the hallway of the apartment. We want the meal too. It's like we're busy praying in here. We want you to pray for us. A lineup. Go out quickly to the streets. Compel them to come in, right? So we're practicing for that this morning. That's part of it. So um, um, am I handing it over to you to, to lead that? We're going to do that. Here's my instructions. I, I, I'm going to, I don't know how you normally exactly do this, but I want to add one feature to your communion service today. We won't go full-blown orthodox. But when you come up, is there somebody who serves? The people who serve, could you just stand up right now? Okay. And, and um, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me what I want you to say. We're just going to practice for a moment. So when, when someone comes forward, you're going to offer them the bread. And, you, and I would like you to say to them this. This is his body for the... For, Healing your body, soul, and spirit. Does that make sense? And then ask this, do you need it? And 
when you're receiving, don't take it until you say, yes, I need it. So this is his body for healing of body, soul, and spirit. Do you need it? And then when you give the juice or wine, you say, this is his blood. It can wash anything. Do you need it? All right, so one more time. This is his body for healing of body, soul, and spirit. Do you need it? This is his blood. It can wash anything. Do you need it? Got it? All right, over to you, Matt. Oh, I, I'm going to just pray blessing on it as you come up too. So, Father in heaven, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and um, who, who gave his body and blood for our healing and our redemption. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit into this moment of receiving. Um, and as, even as we come up, we say, uh, yes, we need it. Yes, we need it. In Jesus' name.